Beginnings are always exciting. When I first put on this mic earlier, okay, I guess it doesn't. I thought something was loose in it, so I tightened it up. Now I think I know why it was loose. Crackling. All right, there I am again. I'll try and keep my head still, but that's not going to work, but we'll say it, pretend I'm going to do it. It'll serve as entertainment, okay? <laughs> Speaking of entertainment, a long time ago when the church at Corinth was meeting in the house church, they were gathering for the remember the Lord. Unfortunately, they were doing what churches sometimes do as they get excited about following the Lord is that they get things wrong. And so the great shared feast was becoming the church potluck gone bad. It was going bad because when they were gathering to eat the, the meal beforehand, some were arriving early. Okay, this isn't going to work. Just, just make sure I don't get that one again. <laughs> they were arriving early, many of them because they were the more wealthy people in town, so they weren't working as hard or as long. Many of them were arriving early because it was their homes in which the church was gathering. Because they were the more wealthy ones, as they brought their food, they brought lots of it, lots of the best food that would be known to their cities. Unfortunately, there were those who were coming later, the rest of the church, if you will, in that place, who were working longer hours, not making as much money and not able to bring as much food. And so Paul is upset with them that they were arriving so early and eating so much that after those who arrived first finished their meal, those who were arriving later were not having enough to eat. Indeed, some of them have enjoyed the food and the drink so well that they were already drunk before the rest of them arrived to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that is why they got such scolding words from Paul. Now, it's easy for us to look at that and go, boy, they were terrible, right? They were acting like a bunch of Baptists. No, wait a minute. I mean, a bunch of Presbyterians. No, I mean Catholics, Roman Catholics. No, I mean Church of Christ. No, well, certainly not United Methodists, right? We'd never do such a thing, right? We would never be caught as a church engaged in anything was, that was not exactly what the Lord wanted. Right? Right, John? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things you have to get used to. When I know your name, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> because it means you get to participate in the message. I want you to know that as we get started. Everybody is fair game. My children have grown up, and so they're not as easy targets as they once were. But I'm counting on the youth to supply me with many illustrations, okay? All right, good. What this meal was meant to do by Jesus was to leave a memorial that would unify the body of Christ. When it was abused and not used correctly, then it was actually dividing the body of Christ according to their wealth, according to their status in the community. The very thing that Jesus had tried to overcome by his coming to earth. And you say, okay, well, we're not doing that now. Why did you pick this 
section, this passage for your first sermon. I picked this because I never want us to forget that basic lesson. That sometimes we can be trying very hard to do what we think is right and we can get it wrong. Even when we're the first followers of Jesus. Even when we come to First Church Carrollton. In remembrance of me, Jesus said. Now, if I, I ask you what it is you remember about the life of Jesus that made him so special, that made him so unique, you could give me lots of different kinds of answers, and I'm glad for that. But let's just settle on one that is a very descriptive uh, phrase for him this morning. We use the phrase self-giving love because that is the kind of life that Jesus lived when he walked this earth, self-giving love. I don't look at my watch because I have no idea what time anything happens in this service, but it'll make you feel better if I look at it every now and then. (laughs) So if we remember self-giving love, then we'll have this idea in remembrance of me. Self-giving love. What is self-giving about coming to a meal to be shared with the whole body of Christ and you eating more than your fair share? The answer would be nothing, right? Nothing is self-giving about that. What would be self-giving about taking the wine that was meant to be blessed and shared and drinking so much of it that you were not totally yourself? Nothing, right? Nothing about that would be self-giving love. So so in, in this meal that was left as a memorial to remember Jesus and the phrase in remembrance of me can be very important. It should be very important. It has been very important to me, and that's why I wanted to share it today. You see, Paul was not trying to keep people from the table. Some churches, sometimes in their exuberance, have used this very passage of Scripture to limit those who could come because of unconfessed sin in their life, because they were not worthy somehow to come to the table. That was never the purpose of what Paul was writing about. It was never the purpose of the Scriptures to teach this lesson in order to keep people away from the table, but rather to teach this lesson so that people would be ready to come to the table, so that they could come joyfully, so that they could come with glee to sit in the Lord's presence and to share in his meal. It was never meant to keep people away, but in fact, there were negative consequences if you were not behaving as the body of Christ were meant to behave. And so when we think about that, We think about ourselves and we ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to us? Well, as long as I can remember as a United Methodist, and that date backs a few years, you'll be kind if you won't try to figure out how many. But let's just say I became a Methodist at a later age. How much later? Well, I was a teenager when I accepted Christ as my Savior. I've been brought up by my mom and dad, faithfully to be in the church every day. I did my duty because otherwise I wouldn't have survived, which meant as a young boy I had to stand still and have my hair combed. I hated that. So I figured out that one day I saw somebody who had a burr haircut. Yeah, you know what happened next. I volunteered for the burr job. I never had to stand still again. One problem down with church. I didn't have to sit still for somebody to comb my hair. Then there was this other problem. You went to church in this Presbyterian church where I was raised my first 12 years, And everybody sat quietly, much like you're doing right now. But they sat that way the whole time. And my daddy had rather large hands. And I could not sit still. I rarely can stand still. I don't even try anymore, but as you get older, you don't have to listen to other people who tell you to be still. So I'm thankful for that. But during those days, I had to sit still or else pain came through my body. 
And I didn't enjoy that pain, so I learned to sit still. But that didn't mean I had to like it. I did not like it. And I did not like it a lot. And then we moved when I was about 12 years old to Farmersville. And I went to this thing called a Methodist church because there wasn't a Presbyterian church in that town. As we began to worship there, a strange thing happened. People started all going to the altar to take communion. That seemed pretty cool. They used to pass it where we went to church in the Presbyterian church. Not nearly as exciting as getting to get up and move around. Then my mother gave me the news. You've not been baptized yet. So when we take communion, you just stay where you're seated, you and your sister, and just sit there and be quiet, which was pretty risky seeing I wasn't sitting with her, but they trusted me to do that, and we sat there. I'll come back to that in a minute. I say that to say this. In the United Methodist Church, in remembrance of me and the celebration of the sacraments, are very, very important. As a young child, I remember that when I went into worship, there was always the pulpit, of course, in the churches in those days. And there was always connected with the pulpit two things. A baptismal font, which you see shown here by the, the bronze uh, dish on the table with water on it in case someone wanted to be baptized. And also the words inscribed on the altar table in remembrance of me. Now, as a small young lad who didn't pay attention to a whole lot... One thing I noticed is when we got ready to serve communion, the preacher got up, boy, started rattling off a bunch of stuff. And that actually got my attention because he could do it in such beautiful language as he was reading the words that he had mostly memorized. And I became infatuated with those words, many of which I didn't know what they meant, but they really sounded cool when he said them over and over again. Communion, baptism, the words symbolized by the pulpit. As I begin to understand, that is the center of United Methodist theology for worship and for life. And so I am tickled to death that our first service together comes on the first Sunday of the month because it begins where, for me, the United Methodist Church has as its center the celebration of the sacraments. So I look forward to breaking the bread with you today. Now, when we take communion, we don't want to be worried about being not ready to come to the table, so we devise a worship service in our liturgy that avoids that. For one thing, we make sure everybody understands everybody is welcome. Everybody. Consider this, which will throw the rest of the worship team into panic. This is your invitation today to the communion table. I don't need to repeat it. If you're here today and you're breathing, you're welcome. You may be from another denomination. You may be from another city. You may be from another country. You may be from around the world. You may know Christ intimately. You may barely know Christ you may not be sure who Christ is at all, but let me say this. doesn't matter. If you are ready to come into the presence of God, you are welcome and encouraged to participate when we break the elements and share in the juice of this table, for it is for us all. Secondly, we always have a prayer of confession that we'll do in a few moments where we examine ourselves so that we are ready to come to the table. Thirdly, we celebrate with what we call the great thanksgiving, remembering Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we bless the elements of the communion that we participate and share in. And then everybody comes forward to receive them. And when we do those things, all you have to do is participate in those elements of the service. And you are ready, if you have given yourself over it, to receive communion. That's a very short sermon, and I'm almost through. Yeah, you know I'm not, right? It made an impact upon me 
to not take communion because it made me feel awkward. Because the whole church and that 140 people would file down. And as everybody were left in our pews, my sister and I were left sitting there. That was bad enough to be with my sister. Secondly, to be standing there and all the other guys giving me a hard time about it was hard. But my mother had a point in what she was saying. She was teaching me to learn to experience my faith in a different way than was the common United Methodist way at that time. And so obviously, I did what I should do and I followed her way. But I never forgot what that felt like to be in the Lord's table in the presence of it and not be able to come to it. So, occasionally now when I go to churches to worship where they don't open their table to anyone, I remember those times when I couldn't go. And occasionally I've been tempted to just sneak up there and take it anyway as if I belonged. You ever thought about that when you were visiting a Roman Catholic church? <laughs> well, it could really bring some excitement to the worship. <laughs> Especially if after you receive the elements from the priest, you were to say, nah, 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 boo, boo. <laughs> I'm not doing this to make fun of the Roman Catholic Church. They feel like the elements are for only believers of the Roman Catholic way. I just think they're wrong. That's one of the reasons I'm a United Methodist. That's one of the reasons I wouldn't be another denomination that did not have an open table. Because with all my heart, I believe, and my experience tells me that this is the Lord's table. And that if the Lord can offer the elements of communion to Judas, then probably he can offer it to me or anybody else that will come. That's very important to me in my way of understanding. Am I out of time? No, there it is. It's back again. Okay. She did it. I did it. Time. Okay. Keep watching your watch. Okay. Not only not going was not my only experience. Listening to the words was not my only experience, but many grace experiences that I've had around the table have changed my life. And you don't have time for me to tell you about the number of times that receiving communion and receiving the grace that God had to offer me that day in, sometimes in prevenient ways, sometimes in justifying ways, and sometimes in sanctifying ways. That my life has been steadily transformed year by year and event after event. I remember one day particularly in Asbury Chapel when we were worshiping there. And probably of all my years, those three years or so in worshiping with so many others called to ministry regularly for three years. Those were some of the greatest memories and experiences of my life. But I remember one day the worship that was revolved around the table, just overcame me. And I could no more have told you what was going on than if I were a man in the moon. But my whole body and soul was just being washed and cleansed in such an amazing way. And I poured out my heart to the Lord again, receiving the forgiveness of my sins anew and afresh, and a special portion of God's presence to be with me that I needed at that particular time in my life. I believe that grace is what the table is about. And I believe it's always here and always available for us to experience. And it's not, not, uh, it's not a mass thing. 
and the person next to you is not going to receive it in the same way that you do. It is personal between you and the Lord. It has nothing to do with the people who are offering it to you. It has everything to do with you coming to it with the right attitude and with the right spirit of love and openness to receive. That's why when we come to receive the elements, we don't take them. We leave our hands cupped to receive them. Because grace is always received. It is never grabbed in any way in our lives. All we have to do is open up ourselves to the presence of God's grace and we will receive exactly what we need in our lives, our hearts, and our minds. I believe that with all my heart. Thank you. So when we come to the offering of the elements, when you come today, come ready to receive and you will receive that. Now I want to, really do want to wind up. I want to remind, wind up with a phrase in remembrance of me. I've already given David a hard time. Bless his heart. It's hard to break in new preachers. He was trying and introduced me around worship. And as we were talking about communion, I asked him where the altar table was. And he told me, well, we don't really have one. And I said, what? He said, we don't really have one. I said, you mean you don't have it out? And he said, no, I mean we don't have one. And then somebody else said, well, maybe we have one. It might be stored away somewhere. And I said, well, that's interesting. And I said, before I thought about it, well, that'll be okay until July 7th. And then I thought, well, that might be a little bit of a rush. So hopefully by August we'll have a, a table that says on it in remembrance of me. This is a beautiful table presented in white, but I need the words. And so I'm going to ask the board. I'm going to ask finance committee. I'm going to ask whoever needs to be asked to help me get us an altar table to regularly be before us. Because, you see, I need to remember that everything I do is in remembrance of Jesus. And I don't need to remember one worship service out of the year. I need to remember it every time I worship because I really believe that it's in remembrance of Jesus Christ that everything I do takes shape and meaning. I think the words are the objective sight of a spiritual reality that I have the opportunity to live out in my life every day. And when I was a young boy, the sight of that table meant something to me when I could never explain it. And so there might be another young boy out here that needs the objective reality of the spiritual truth that we are to do all that we do in remembrance of our Lord, whether we're at CCA in class, whether we're on the sports field for CCA or in academic competition, we need to remember it. When we're in a Sunday school class, we need to remember it. When we're at work or play, we need to remember it. When we're down on the creek cleaning out all that mess down there and making that a beautiful place, we need to remember it's in remembrance of Jesus. Oh, that's right. We haven't planned cleaning out the creek yet, have we? Don't know how that happens. What a beautiful place you have here. Have I said that yet? A beautiful building. It's also new. It's a little scary, you know. I mean, it's new. And they even shined the floors this past week. It looks great. You have 30-something acres in North Carrollton. And I'm told by Gary, you know Gary, that little swindle guy, the little go- golfer man? The guy gets to ride around the golf cart on the property. You know, he even took me for a ride the other day. I want to thank you for those chiggers, Gary. <laughs> they really uh, made my past week exciting. I first told him I didn't get it, and the next day I found out I lied. Uh, they were in hiding. Well, he gave me a, a view of the property. 
And then I got a view when we came in the back door because they were cleaning the floors on the front from that upper stairs outside the youth room, looking out over that property that we're not using, that we're not offering as a place to come near to Christ, that we're not giving all the use so they can hide from us even more by clearing up the creek, by making all those acres used, by cutting out that drainage ditch so it actually does drain and doesn't pile up like a little river that turns into a lake. All those things that we can do to capture it for important things like frisbee golf or running trails or prayer walks or other kind of sporting events or just places to go and picnic and park in the shade. It was actually cool where the chiggers live in the shade back there. (laughs) And once we clean out all that stuff, then the chiggers, they'll leave and we'll just be there. And, yeah, I know. So if you're on the finance committee, you think, and I know how your minds work. I've dealt with finance committees a few years. You're thinking, who's going to pay for that? That's not my problem. That's your problem. (laughs) However, I will promise to the finance committee that I will help you find out where that money is that's in our pockets to clear that out. And I think while I'm there, I'm going to pause another moment longer. I might not have mentioned it, but some people are a little concerned about money. Something about a debt, I think. I heard. When we have that altar table, we'll also have a lectern stand that'll have a shelf where I can sit this, and I won't have quite the balancing act I'm doing today, but it won't be nearly as entertaining. (laughs) The Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I read that somewhere once. I believed it when I read it. I've never pastored a church where anyone is starved. I've never pastored a church where they didn't turn on the electricity every Sunday. I've never pastored a church, quite frankly, that didn't grow. And I don't intend to start now. A couple of well-meaning folks have told me, well, you know, I'm worried about the school. If the school goes under... Church will go under too. And I just smiled and didn't say much of anything. But then I heard this from someone connected to the staff. And I said to that staff person this. The Church of Jesus Christ is not fixing to close in Carrollton, Texas. And the school is not going to close either. And even if it did, we'd use the building space for some other kind of school. God is not through with what we have here. This school and this church is going to thrive and grow in the place where you've been planted. And we're going to attract people to Carrollton to come here because we love them so much they won't be able to say no. And when they come, they'll bring their gifts and their talents and their monies, their hopes and their dreams to go with your hopes and dreams. And we will be the part of Christ in the valley on Church Row streets, not just on the hilltop. Yeah, I know about the folks up east of us. Every morning I'm driving here and I see their big old tall spire from that church. You know, they bought the top of the hill. Okay, they did. We're at the bottom of the hill. You know how long Jesus stayed on the mountain when he went up there to pray? He didn't stay there long, did he? He came down in the valley because that's where the people live. Now, I'm glad Preston Wood's up there, and I'm glad I don't have their bills. I might not make that statement about money if I had their bills to look forward to every day. I'm glad for them to be the church they are. 
That has nothing to do with us. We're the first United Methodist Church in Carrollton, Texas. We're going to offer grace without reserve to everybody who's hungry for it. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to go in missions to Central America and South America. We're going to go to Cambodia. We're going to go to the places in Carrollton where people haven't gone for the Methodist Church in a while. And in the name of Jesus, we're going to break bread with them. We're going to provide places for them to come in fellowship with us under the trees when it's cool and in the air conditioning when it's hot. We're going to continue to build the church that you've already been building. I say that to say this. Do not be discouraged. After all, the church is just not you and me. If the church was just you and me, I'd be concerned because I don't know you all that well. This church is about Jesus Christ. I do know him. And that Jesus is not afraid of a challenge and is not afraid to finish what he started. So please, without bragging, without any kind of false pride, let us just assume that as we plan and go forward together, God will be with us. And that the church that is here now will become the church of the future. And many people will find comfort in the grace that will be offered through the ministries of this congregation and people just like you. I've already begun to meet some of you. You have an outstanding youth group. I am thrilled to, to get to know them, to see the four who have given leadership since you lost your youth director last December. I know numbers have been down. I've been given to, dispress, to depressing numbers. Uh, so much for numbers, right? What are numbers? They're all about the past. We're going to be all about the future as well as the present. It's good to be here. We have a lot to do, and I'm looking forward to doing it with you. Lord God, I thank you for each person sitting in these pews. You have gifted them in amazing ways. I pray, oh God, that as they continue in their worship this morning, that for everyone that's hurting, they will feel your healing touch. For everyone that's feeling doubtful, I pray they will feel your presence stirring anew in their hearts. For everyone, Lord, that is worried, I pray that you would lift their anxiety. For everyone that's here, Lord, that is wondering who these strange guys are that have come to be pastors, I pray you'll comfort them. For everyone, Lord, who is wondering about our direction, I pray you will show it to them. And for everyone, Lord, who is here, I pray that they will feel and receive your grace today as they come with thankful hearts filled with joy to the table of life. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.